I love how the Lord just works in the theme of things. And when we we're closing up Chasing Daylight, this is the um, series that we've been in over the last several weeks. And this Sunday is, is about the army and about who's all involved here. And I was just standing there thinking like, God, you are so awesome. It's those little details, the intricacies of how he weaves these things together. So as we're remembering this weekend, and it is a wonderful kickoff to to summer, but to remember those who have given the ultimate sacrifice or have gone and put themselves in that position. But today we're going to focus on that within the word, the army, and who makes up the army. And as I was praying for you guys, I didn't know who, I didn't know if anyone would be here. Okay, it's Memorial Weekend. I knew my sister would be, uh, and my brother. But (laughs) I didn't know who would be here today, but I was praying for you, and I'm like, Lord, what is it that you want me to say through this story? We've been camped out in 1 Samuel 14 throughout this series, and we've we've heard the passage. We know the details, and I'm gonna recap them for anyone that's coming into it today, so we'll catch you up. But the word victory kept coming into my mind. Victory. And it's not necessarily verbiage that I use all the time. And as I was writing, I'm like, victory, what is this that you're wanting me to say, Lord? And he told me to tell you to remember the victory. Remind my people of the victory. The victory of, of where he's brought you from. Those victories, those relationships that seem like there was no hope. How he's brought resolution to that, that you've been able to sometimes end those things that need to be ended when, when it seemed like there was a dire situation and you didn't know where that money was going to come from and it showed up out of nowhere, where you felt like you couldn't muster up any more faith to do something and somehow you still took that step forward. Those victories, no matter how small or how big, remember those. Remember what he's done on the cross for us. That he died and he defeated death. He was buried in death and he rose again on the third day. We need to remember those things because it's in the victory we get to work from that. So today I'm going to work from victory. We're going to go higher. At the end of this story, there's victory. But I want to go down into the details later. But to work from victory, God has already won. And I know I'm starting to preach way too early into this, I'm pretty sure. But I'm just so fired up because I know in my own life, God had to remember and to remind me that when things seem impossible, when I'm about to take a chance that may or may not work, where I might seem a little crazy to other people, he's like, Allie, I've already won. So trust me to do the things that only I can do and you take the steps and do the things that you can do. This is together. So we are going to work from victory today. Amen? Amen. So in 1 Samuel 14, 23, this is the last part of the verses that we have in our passage. It says this. So the Lord saved Israel that day. And the battle continued to rage even beyond Beth-Avon. We'll get into the second part of that a little bit later on. But Up to this point, so Jonathan and the armor bearers. So that's what we're talking about today. King Saul is the first king of Israel, and they are facing the Philistine army. And Jonathan goes in and and he wins a battle in chapter 13. 
And at the end of 13, Saul and his army see the Philistine armies who, who were just defeated, start to call in the chariots, call in the extra people, and their army starts to grow. And instead of the Israelites advancing, they ran. They ran. They were so terrified that although they just received the victory, they saw that another battle, battle raged on and they ran. The Lord saved Israel on that day, but a battle raged on in Bethaven. It had just happened in 13, so we enter this story of Jonathan and the armor bearer. And as Saul is sitting around doing nothing with the men that are with him, the 600 men that were left, trembling in fear, it says, Jonathan says to his armor bearer, let's go. We're going to the Philistine outpost, perhaps the Lord will fight for us. See, Jonathan took the chance with his armor bearer that perhaps the Lord would fight for him. Perhaps the Lord would fight on his behalf. Perhaps the Lord would fight on behalf of Israel. As we will look at that he doesn't do it that God gives him into the, the Philistines into the hands of Jonathan or just the armor bearer. He does it because he says the Lord has delivered them into the hands of Israel. It's for the good of the whole. So Jonathan and the armor bearer take this risk of uncertainty, of putting their lives on the line for the sake of the whole. So Jonathan, this example of leadership, of courage, of faith and humility, you know, as we're going through this series, Jonathan is someone I want to be. Right? When you, when you think of Jonathan, it's that feeling of like, I want to take risks and I want to be one of adventure and I want God to use me. But sometimes I also sit there thinking, well, I want that. But I can't identify with that right now. I don't find myself in the story. I can't see myself in the army. Where am I? If I'm not Jonathan, then who am I in this story? Erwin McManus, again, the one that we are doing the, the series on, he, he talks about the different parts of the army in his last chapter, and that's where I'm camping on today. My hope is that you are able to identify where you are and that you are reminded that it's not too late to join the army. It's not too late for God to work in a seemingly dead situation. So the first one that we're going to look at is the faithful, the armor bearer. And sometimes it's easy to, to quickly move past the armor bearer. But let's stop for a moment and focus in on him. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will go and fight for us. Come, let's go over to the, um, to the outposts of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan then said, come on then, we will cross over to them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay where we are and not go up. But if they come, if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given him into our hands. The armor bearer, a young, inexperienced most likely in battle with Jonathan along the way, even in the, in the battle that he's not mentioned in in chapter 13, he's been there. He's seen Jonathan. He's seen his faith. He's seen him step out. So when Jonathan turns to him, his leader turns to him and says, perhaps 
the Lord will fight for us. Thelma Rivera looks back and says, well, go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. No matter how crazy it seemed, his armor bearer who had been there and had seen him, his loyalty, him working through those things, who's facing danger, taking risk, the armor bearer says, I'm with you. We can't look over and look past the armor bearer in the story. Because when we do, I think sometimes we put too much of a heavy focus on Jonathan having the title and the armor bearer not having a name. Sometimes we don't have a name. Sometimes we don't get to have the significance in the story. Don't mistake anonymity with insignificance. Most of these battles are won because of the ones, the armor bearers, the ones that don't have a name in the story showed up. They showed up and they fought. When their leader said, let's go, they went. And they had their leaders back. So when they're climbing up, and it goes on, um, but when they're climbing up towards the, the Philistines, as they said to come up to us, the armor bearer follows up after Jonathan up that hill, up that mountain, carrying his shield. And at this time, there's only two weapons left in the whole Israelite army. Two weapons. Saul has one. Jonathan has the other. So the armor bearer is willingly walking into this dangerous situation without a weapon. Without a weapon. But he follows up, and it goes on to say... um, I'm going to jump to verse 13. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed 20 men in an area of about half an acre. An armor bearer went in without a weapon and came out a warrior. Because he took the risk to just show up. To just show up and fight. He was faithful and loyal to Jonathan. You know, um, people have asked me how I, get, how I got into this preaching thing, which I'm only a year in, so I'm not really sure if it's valid yet. <laughs> but people have asked me, how do I get into this preaching thing? And how, how did I get there? And when I thought about it, I'm like, I never would have told you I would be up here preaching. When my dad started this church years ago, um, I just was helping part-time. And honestly, I was 23, almost 24, just trying to supplement something until I figured out what I was going to do with my life, right? And I'm all for supporting my parents. I love the church. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll be at the church. It turned into full-time. And then that turned into being involved in women's ministry. And then I was scheduling things for other people to teach. And then one day... Meredith Laddie, I'm going to say her name, <laughs> looked at me when she was teaching. We were scheduling out what Bible study we were going to do, and she looked at me, and she's like, Allie, it's time for you to step up. It's time for you to be teaching, not just scheduling. And I looked at her, and I was like, mm-mm. Like, like, I am 25. I don't know a thing. Please keep teaching me. (laughs) And she said, no, we are an intergenerational church, and my mom was teaching as well. She's like, we need your voice. For someone to look at me, the Jonathan in that moment, to look at me and say, we need your voice, I might not have had all the tools that I even have today. But I said, 
okay, I'll show up at least and see what happens. And through that, then in February of last year, my dad, when we were scheduling out our sermon series, he's like, all right, do you want one of, do you want a Sunday? Do you want to preach? Do you feel like that you're ready? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, you're ready. (laughs) And it wasn't until I showed up that Sunday, well, really in the middle of it, I was still unsure what was happening. (laughs) But it's because I just had to keep showing up. And that's just my story. It's not about me, but it's just the story of where I know that sometimes it's not about the talent that you have, the things that you know. It's the fact that you've been faithful to show up. So when God needs someone, he's like, you, you're here, let's go. We get enamored sometimes so much about faith, which is so awesome and important. We're faith that moves mountains, but sometimes when we say the faithful, well, that seems a little boring and tedious. Sounds like commitment to me. <laughs> and sometimes that's what, that's what the armor bearer did. He just showed up. We can never underestimate the, cons- the consistency of showing up, whether to work, whether to your rec league, if you play in, like, in any type of sport. If it's here on Sunday morning, we can't underestimate the consistency of showing up. Showing up for your family, showing up on time, those types of things. Consistency builds trust in you. So whenever people need someone, they're going to look to you and say, it's time. Can you help? Let's go. And they know that you're going to say, whatever it is, even if I'm ill-equipped and have not a clue, I'm in. I'm in for the mission. It's in those moments where we have to choose the divine in the midst of the mundane. And where the armor bearer becomes a warrior. And in reality, I have to say this really quickly. Sometimes you're Jonathan and sometimes you're an armor bearer. So sometimes in the marriage, it might go either way. If if the wife is taking a new job and you believe that that's where God's leading her, help her. Whatever it is to carry the shield while she takes that risk. While they're on the front lines, support them in whatever way. Or if it's a job, like if it's new friendships or going to coffee with that person, Sometimes you can be a Jonathan when you're standing in line somewhere and you're like overhear something or you feel like God prompts you to go say something to a stranger. That's taking a risk. So you're a Jonathan in that moment to step out and say, I, I don't even have an armor bear right now. So I'm just going to step out and take this risk. We, I just don't want us to get so caught up that we miss the importance And not fight against that desire to just be seen and known. Because the Heavenly Father sees you and knows you. And you are already enough. The victory has already been won. So armor bearer, work from victory. We have to work from the place that he has already taken care of it. The next one is the apathetic. Saul in the 600. Apathetic means indifferent, unmoved, uninvolved, unemotional, lukewarm, and half-hearted. So after the first battle Jonathan won, we see in chapter 13, 7, it says, Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. And then again in 1 Samuel 14, 2, it says, Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah, around the pomegranate tree at Migran. So, 
While all this stuff is happening, meanwhile, the Philistine army was gathering troops and preparing for advancement because they just got defeated. They're growing and they're ready to go to war. Meanwhile, King Saul is just standing there with 600 men terrified out of their minds. Jonathan, his son, and an armor bearer go run off to face the troops. And then meanwhile, Saul is resting under a pomegranate tree. The hills that they fought in, they were high enough to where they could still see the battles and the enemy camps. There were ravines in between them. So he could see the battle. He could say that he was at war, but he wasn't engaged. These suddenlies, it says in verse 15, it says, Suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Saul's lookouts in Gibeah of Benjamin saw a strange sight. The vast army of Philistines began to melt away in every direction. Call the roll call and find out who's missing, Saul ordered. And we're going to stop. Time. So it says, suddenly a panic broke out in the Philistine army. You know, our suddenlies in life seem a lot more like a surprise when we're not very involved in the meanwhiles. Jonathan and his armor bearer were up there fighting them. And although it might have been a shock and a surprise, they weren't, it might have been a shock, it wasn't a surprise. Because God already came through for them. They were already on the battlefield. So now they're like, well, of course God would do that. It's crazy, but at least I knew he would do it. Saul is over there chilling, and he sees them, and he starts, everybody's panicking except for Saul. The apathetic, unmoved, you know what he says? Call the roll call. Who's missing? 600 troops to go through to see who was missing. The war was, he saw something happening, and you know what he did? He didn't even let his emotions take over. He just said, somebody please tell me who's missing here. Who did this? Apathy can be lethal. Paul tells us in Romans 10:2, he says, Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. But Saul is showing us here that knowledge without zeal can be equally as dangerous. It goes on to say in verse 17, and when they checked, they found out that it was Jonathan and his armor bearer that were gone. Then Saul shouted to Ahijah, bring the ephod here, for at that time Ahijah was wearing the ephod in front of the Israelites. But while Saul was talking to the priest, the confusion in the camp grew louder and louder. So Saul said to the priest, never mind, let's get going. Then Saul and all of his men rushed out to the battle and found the Philistines killing each other, and there was terrible confusion everywhere. It wasn't until he found out that it was his son that he moved. Never underestimate the value of personal involvement. Before he realized it was his son, he didn't care. He was like, well, okay, something's happening. Who is it gone? Well, whatever, they're, they're gone. When he found out it was his son, he's like, call the priest. What are we doing? Is God going to give it to us? And as it grew louder, he's like, I don't even care. Let's go. So, I'm a Packer fan, and very, like, really too intense, probably, and um, I've been Packer fan of the week before, Woo. 
<laughs> showing you my loyalty. If the Browns and the Dolphins are playing, I don't care, okay? I mean, I love football. I'll watch it if it's on. I'm probably going to be doing other things. But if the Packers are playing, I'm engaged. If you've had a kid in a sport that you've never cared about before and all of a sudden your kid's playing, you're the crazy mom in the stands, aren't you? I've seen it happen. I'm going to be that mother. Okay. (laughs) That's what happens here is all of a sudden Saul is involved. He's personally involved. And we, we sit around and it's so easy to be apathetic, unemotional whenever... We're not rubbing shoulders with people around us. When we don't know the people that we we work with, we don't really know them. We're not spending time necessarily with our family. We come to church every now and then, and, and even if we're here consistently, but we're not really involved, it's easier to just kind of keep everybody back here in any of those situations and critique But whenever you're in the details, when you're with them and you're working through things, all of a sudden you give grace when you didn't know you had grace. You have passion when at first you were apathetic. Because then you just want them to win. You want them to get to the right conclusion. Even if you disagree, let's work through it together. All of a sudden there's this this space to grow. Because we're working from victory. And This is going to get me in trouble. Um... Sometimes as Christians, I think we can come to church and huddle around the pomegranate tree for food. Pomegranate seeds are fantastic. For shade, for rest. And, those, and rest, there's seasons of our lives where showing up is, is just a feat in and of itself. But if you've been here and you've been there and you can see the battle, sometimes we just say, okay, we're far enough away from the enemy but just close enough to say that we're in the war. But not necessarily personally invested to go out. You know, church means to go out. In Matthew 28, God calls us. He said, or Jesus says, go into all the world. To go out into all of the world. Yes, we need to huddle, but we should break the huddle. If we make it to the Super Bowl and we're in there with the huddle and we never break huddle, how are we going to win the game? Yeah? (laughs) And that's what God's saying to us. And this is what Saul, all of a sudden, because he's personally involved, all of a sudden his apathy turned to passion and compassion. Jesus went and he saw and he had compassion. If, you're, if you have a lot of knowledge yet you don't have that feel and those connections with people, I'm going to challenge you to get around people more. Spend time with them more. Try to understand where they're coming from. That will create all of a sudden this movement. And then all of a sudden Saul and all of them join the army. It grows from two to 600. And then we move into the next. The rebels. In 1 Samuel 14, 21, it goes on to say, Even the Hebrews, who had previously gone over to the Philistine army, revolted and joined in with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the army and the Israelites. That is important because the fact that they call them Hebrews and then it's the Israelites is because these Hebrews, these descendants of Abraham, chose to leave their nationhood, the the Israelites, to go join the enemy camp. So they're Hebrews. They're foreigners in another land. They've chosen to move. So there's, a, there's importance in this verbiage. That's why it's different. It says the Hebrews who had previously gone. 
These Hebrews who were willing to war against the God who had delivered their people over and over again because the enemy just looked like it was probably going to win. Sometimes we look past character because of celebrity, especially in our culture. Of social media and everything being in front of us and, and of information. We look past character because, because of what someone's done. And we can celebrate, you know, good things that people bring to society. But we celebrate and we look past the other things because it's a shiny object. And I think we, we sacrifice our moral compass on the altar of being accepted by the crowds. I've been there. They chose to trade in their life with God, even though it looked short. To have a life that looked like it was going to be one of longevity with the enemy. They chose to give that up and to be a rebel, but then all of a sudden... Something changed, and they joined the army. I, I know a lot of you know my story, but when I was in college, I was a mess. And there were about two years there that I did what I wanted to. I lived the ways of the world. I did those things because I wanted to be accepted. I had all these things that I was working through, and yet I didn't really see a full army on the other side living it out and making me want to be a part of it. I saw Jonathan's and, Dave, uh, Jonathan's and uh, Armor Bears, a.k.a. my parents, living it out. But sometimes it's like, okay, I see they have it, but why? where is everyone else? Where is the apathetic church? And, and I'm not apathetic. I'm obviously extremely emotional and passionate. <laughs> and so what happened was in that passion got pulled, the enemy used the passion that God has given me to move me the other way because I wasn't going to be emotionless, that's for sure. So I was going to be around people that made me feel something even if it wasn't the right thing. I chose the enemy camp because it seemed more accepting. But the beauty of what happens in this story is that the Hebrews revolted and joined in with Saul, Jonathan, and the rest of the Israelites. When they saw them across the battlefield, confusion had already taken over the Philistines, right? So the rebels, they weren't confused. All of a sudden, they could see clearly. All of a sudden, they can see their people again. I'll tell you, in my years of running, I did a lot of things, and I thought that I was thinking clearly, but one thing I know for a fact, nothing was clear. I was constantly in a state of confusion. I knew who I was deep down was kind of warring inside with the person that I was being and becoming. Something wasn't right. I was never clear-headed. I was depressed. I was alone. I was confused. And then all of a sudden, God spoke to me in a moment. And in this moment, the Hebrews saw Saul and Jonathan across the battlefield. And in a moment, they remembered who they were. In a moment... They remembered that they too were Israelites. It's like the prodigal son coming home after running away and and spending all that he had and thinking, I got this. I don't need to be at home. And saying, no, he got to a place of desperation and said, I'm going to go back even if I have to be a servant in my father's house. Whatever I have to do, but at least I know there I'm going to be loved. 
the rebels have a lot of emotion, and the rebels tend to search for movement. I was searching for movement. I know deep down that I'm created for more, so I was looking for someone going somewhere. But what if, what if, after Jonathan and the armor bearer and the 600 joined in together, what if they are creating such a movement across the battlefield that the ones over here that are wanting the movement and an actual reason to be fighting see them and say, that's what it is. That's actually it. I'm running with them. I'm crossing back over. That's what happened to me, and that's what happens to them. In our society, So we see so many um, all about the cause and the movements. There's so many movements happening right now, and that's a good thing in a lot of cases. But what if the church was that movement? What if we're called to be that movement? We're created with this this need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves to change the world for a reason. Because God wants us to come together in the army, to become a vast army, to breathe life into those, to give them something to fight for. Not fate and not coerced. But because risks are taken like Jonathan and the faithful like the armor bearer and, and those that are chosen to engage like Saul, will help those who are rebels remember who they are. And the last group, the broken, the hiding Israelites. Remember, I had mentioned earlier in chapter 13, when they saw the army growing, they ran for the hills, they hid in caves, thickets, (laughs) cisterns, broken cisterns, which are like tombs in those days, and in rocks. Around 1,500 of them ran away. Only 600 stayed because they were afraid. There was fear of war. There was fear that gripped them. They, they, couldn't, they looked out and they saw, well, that's a loose situation and that's a loose situation, so I'm going to run, all right? I'm going to come up with my third option over here. I'm going to hide away. Whether it's that fear of rejection, that fear of failure, when we sometimes hide away from what's going on in our lives. I've felt that even recently. I'm not just talking about people who don't know Jesus. And if you don't, I pray that this is just seeping into your heart right now. But I've felt this even as a Christian when I fought a really great war and I feel like I did something that God had called me to do, told me to do, and all of a sudden the enemy just looks way too big. And I'm like, whoa. This is all a loose situation, and I'm going to go hide in my house for a few days, right? <laughs> and, and I'm just like, God, I, 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 I want to fight, but I just, like, I'm, I'm afraid that people aren't going to accept me. I'm afraid I'm going to do things that are a little too crazy for other people. I'm going to be too radical to other people. See, God could just as easily win, the, win every battle without doing, speaking a word. We're working from victory because he's already won it. But why does he let us be a part of it? Erwin McManus says this. He says, God uses the challenges we face to shape the character within us. To miss the battle is to lose the ability to fully enjoy the victory. It's not simply battles that are won, but fear that is conquered. So it goes on to say this about the broken In verse 22, it says, Likewise, the men of Israel who were hiding in the hill, country of Ephraim, joined the chase when they saw the Philistines running away. 
They joined the fight. Not because of the army. But why? Because the enemy was in retreat. They joined the fight because the enemy was running away. So what had had to happen first is Jonathan and the armor bearer plus Saul and the 600 plus the rebels had to come together and move against the enemy. Not like they were moving and the enemy was in retreat and moving that way. And all of a sudden, those who were hiding start to look out and be like, all right, I'm in. Because it looks like we're going to win. It looks like that's going to be the winning side. And when I was doing this, it reminded me of the parable in Matthew 20. And it's this, where the vineyard owner goes out and he's looking for workers during the day for the vineyard. And he goes out early in the morning. And he gets um, the workers and he promises one denarius. And then he goes back out at nine. And then at twelve. And at three. And at five. And he promises them all to get paid for the work that they've done. And come six o'clock... Everyone's going to get paid. So he has the five o'clock people, the late afternoons, come in first, and they get paid one denarius. Then the three o'clock, one denarius. Noon, one denarius. If I'm saying denarius wrong, I'm really sorry. So (laughs) denarius sounds American. And then at nine, they go in, and then the early morning goes in, and he's like, wait, 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 wait. How come the five o'clock one is getting the same amount as the one that got, I got here first thing this morning? How come they're getting the same amount? And he says, well, I I own the thing. (laughs) And I'm not, you might see it as being unfair, but it's the grace that I'm giving to the ones that show up. It's just as much grace as the one who shows up at five as the one that showed up early in the morning. It's just as much victory as the, for the broken as it is for Jonathan who decided to go out there by himself. One is not better than the other. We need every single part of it. There is enough grace for everyone. Just because you're not a Jonathan in profession or you're not up here preaching or speaking does not mean that there's not as much victory in changing light bulbs and doing the computer and being with the kids and making spreadsheets for me, please. Georgia. There's victory. Wave the hanky. There's so much to be had in the ones, no matter what time you show up to the party, to the battle. We need you. I'm here to tell you that you can work from victory and every single one of you is needed in this battle. Jonathan and his armor bearer could kill 20, but could they win the war by themselves? Well, God could do it. But he wanted everyone to be a part of the victory. When the church is moving with the Spirit of God, the leaders will be risk takers. The armor bearers will become warriors. The apathetic will become passionate. The rebels will become radical for the cause of Jesus Christ. The greatest movement that has ever come across the face of this earth when there are disciples hiding in the upper rooms. Okay, the example of the broken hiding away. The disciples were hiding away while he was being crucified. I feel like, to me, that's almost so much proof that Jesus really did raise again from the dead because all of a sudden these scared, hiding away disciples decided that they are willing to face death 
for this man who has changed everything for them, who is love, who is hope, who has given them a future, who has given them victory. Why else would they be so changing? Why else would they be so radical unless they saw him face to face and they knew they were willing to die for the one that they saw with scars in his hands? The victory has been won. They knew it. It's a part of the movement that we get to be a part of and we get the Holy Spirit to help us, each one of us, as we move within us. And then that is when the broken, the world, the world's going to join us when they see darkness fading. Not just because the church is like getting a big army together, but because actually light is winning. And they're like, what is happening? All I know is I don't know about the army, but I know that the enemy's in retreat, so I'm going to choose that side. What's going on? I'm going to join that side. That's our call, to move in such a way that the enemy is in retreat. The light shining in the darkness, the darkness has to fade. And as we're chasing daylight, I need you to remember it's not too late. While there is still day, we can still be working, but there is a time. John 9, 4, I'm not sure if I have that in there. John 9, 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And this is Jesus speaking. But then he sends his spirit and he says, now you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And while it is still day, we still have time. And while you still have breath in your lungs, you still have an opportunity to say, Lord, I'm going to work for victory. Where do you need me to go today? What do you need me to say today? What do you need me to trust in you in today? That stance of victory. And as we close, I want to remind you, today is the day of salvation, as Scripture tells us. And when we put on the full armor of God, we have this helmet of salvation. So even those that are already in the army, we have to put on the helmet of salvation that he has saved us. Remember that he has saved us and that it is God at the end of the day who saves Israel. Not us, not the Jonathan. We're part of it, but it is God. It reminds me of this story in Ezekiel 37 where the dry bones are all across this valley. And, and the Spirit of the Lord leads Ezekiel, the prophet at the time, who is in this time of exile, and it's completely hopeless. The Israelites don't see any good news coming their way, and Ezekiel is led out into this valley of very dry bones. That's what Scripture says. Not just dry bones, but very dry bones, which means, like, it's been there for a long time. And they're scattered everywhere. And he makes Ezekiel walk among the bones. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responds, well, sovereign Lord, only you know. And in response, God says, okay, well, son of man, prophesy to the bones that they may hear the word of the Lord, that there's breath in their lungs. I'm going to bring tendons over their body. I'm going to bring the bones back together and cover it in flesh. And all of a sudden, and suddenly, it says in Scripture, there's a rattling, and the bones come together. And he says he sees tendons pulling, coming about on his arms. And all of a sudden, there's, an, there's bodies standing straight up, but there's one thing missing. He had to prophesy twice. 
The second time God says, prophesy to the breath. Speak life into these bodies that are ready to go. Speak life into the situation that seems dire. Speak life into the church where you don't know if it's going to work. Speak life into the relationship that seems like there's no hope. Speak life. You can put all the right things together. You have all the knowledge in the world, but if you can't speak the Holy Spirit, life. That's where reconciliation comes from. That's where movement comes from. And that's where an army comes from. He said, Lord, only you know. Jonathan said, perhaps. And even in that, Jonathan still had to walk up that mountain and face the enemy on a perhaps. He didn't know for sure until he was fighting. But he held on to knowing that the one that was in control has already brought the victory. However it looked like, even if he got killed, that God would save his people. Ezekiel, instead of doing something, he still had to speak something. Even he's like, Lord, only you know. Only you know what can happen. But he still had to speak and say the words of the Lord out loud to the thing that was dead. Bones scattered. He had to speak to them. Seems a little crazy. <laughs> Seems a little impossible, doesn't it? But he, got to, he had to speak life. So sometimes we have to do things. And sometimes we need to speak things. Sometimes we need to walk it out. Sometimes we need to talk it out. Going 90s on everyone. Walk the walk and talk the talk. As the band comes up and we close, I just want to remind you that we all have a unique part to play. And the miraculous can happen. And armies can come out of nowhere. I'm speaking life over the people that are here. I want to speak life over our city. The valley of the sun. We are in the valley. (sighs) Speak life into our city. Into those situations. Because God wants to use us. Wherever we find ourselves today. A Jonathan. A faithful armor bearer, an apathetic Saul, a rebellious traitor, or one who's so broken and in need of life and of purpose and of victory. God can take any situation and breathe life. He formed Adam, who was laying there. And it wasn't until he breathed his breath into him that he was alive. The beauty of coming to know Christ is that when we know him and we accept him, that's when we put our our sinful nature dies in that moment. That's when death happens as a Christian. Then, not physical death, that's when we're just asleep waiting for him to take us home. Or however heaven works, don't start getting theologically on me. But... But it is true, whenever we are buried, I think of the baptisms last week, that's a sign of being buried and risen again into new life. That's when our death happens as Christians. Why are we so afraid of the other things? Why are we so afraid of actual death? Because that's an upgrade. Why are we so afraid, I'm speaking to myself, of people approving of what we're doing, of people giving us praise for what we're doing. It's in the faithful, it's in the everyday. You spending time with the Lord, you giving money when you know you're supposed to, you doing the things that no one else sees. Because it's in those people, the faithful, that the army rises up and pushes back the darkness. That's what we get to be a part of. 
It's beautiful and it's hard work, but God gives us the breath to do so. So as we sing and and as we close, I just want to remind you that this is not about you, but you are needed. It's not about being self-serving. It's about serving others. Because victory is won and death has been defeated. If you guys would all stand with me, we're going to go out singing this morning. And I want to read this passage with you. Just to remind you, I know that the the battle continues to rage and we need to come together. We need to be reminded of this daily. And I'm praying breath into your lungs. But 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. And just take this as a benediction. And then we're going to sing a song and just remember the victory that he has given us. And it says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Amen. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that never died, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It wasn't until this week I saw the attitude behind it, okay? There's, there's, it's just like, where is it? Oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Because you've already been swallowed up in victory. For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank you, God. Thank you, God. He gives us victory over sin. He gives us victory over death. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically, enthusiastically for the Lord with passion. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Amen.